Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength and conditioning coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I have the pleasure of catching up with former guest of our show, Dan Howes. Dan joined us in episode 25, previously in 2020, and when we last spoke to Dan on the show, he was working in Major League Baseball as the head of strength and conditioning at the Houston Astros. Dan is now back in the UK, and for today's episode, we'll be talking all about career development and planning for sports practitioners. And this is a topic that Dan is supporting a lot of coaches at scale with through his venture Collaborate Sports. So whether you're a coach, clinician, sports scientist, or whatever role you're aspiring to be in sport, this episode has some really useful pearls of wisdom. So I hope you enjoy. Today's episode of the Informed Performance Podcast has been sponsored by Vald Performance, makers of the Nordboard. The Nordboard has become the gold standard for assessing field-based hamstring strength. By combining advanced sensors, real-time data visualizations, and cloud analytics, the Nord Board helps practitioners to accurately measure, monitor, and train individuals' hamstring strength or imbalances. To learn more about the Nord Board, visit our sponsor, volperformance.com. Informed Performance is proudly partners with Humac Norm by CSMI. If you or your organization has a Biodex or Cybex, then is your old software or computer slowing you down? If yes, then check out the Humac software or computer upgrade for Biodex systems 2, 3, and 4, and also the Humac norm. Since 1982, over 3,000 Cybex and Biodex owners have rejuvenated the isokinetic machine they already own with the Humac system by CSMI. To learn more about the Humac upgrade, then head to humacnorm.com and select products and upgrades. You're listening to the Informed Performance Podcast with me, Andy McDonald, and here is today's guest, Dan Howes. Dan, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to get you back on. Uh, this time, you're a lot further away from me. Now you're back in the UK. How are you? I'm really well. Thanks for having me as well. It's been, um, yeah, it's been some time, but back settled now uh, in the UK. Um, so yeah, and, and enjoying what I'm doing. Good stuff. Well, last time we spoke on the show, you were currently at the Astros and the the main focus of our previous episode was your transition from the UK and rugby into um, obviously working in Major League Baseball. Um, Things I know are now looking very different for you work-wise. So could you, I guess, because you've been on before, give us a brief background um, and sort of give us context of where you've come from, but more importantly, kind of bring us up to where you are now and, and what your work life looks like. Yeah, so when we last spoke, I was on that journey of, of having spent some time at the Astros for a couple of years and, and um, in a really, really great high-performance model. Um, and I'd taken that leap from transitioning it over to, to the US into that elite sports space, and it was fantastic. And then uh, I transitioned back to the UK um, for, for a number of reasons, but it was a time during COVID, and so I got invited back into work with the uh, GB7s team that we'll get preparing for for Japan. And so I was fortunate enough to jump straight back into something very applied on the ground, a very different operating space, a very small team by comparison, and me being back on the ground coaching day in, day out, as opposed to managing a team. Um, but still with a performance goal in mind of getting to the Olympics. And yeah, my career trajectory has been focused primarily on the physical development side of things, specialising in strength and conditioning. And that job, when I came back to, to the UK, although it wasn't 
pre-planned, but that offer came up um, unexpectedly. I took it with two hands and and really embraced the, the performance problem-solving space again. And then post-Olympics, uh, stepped away and have, have been doing a number of different things, uh, more towards practitioner development and, and coaching coaches, uh, more so than athletes now. Um, I've moved back into a little bit of academia as well, university lecturing and guest lecturing, um, as well as running mentorships and, and uh, working as a consultant in high-performance spaces as well. It's quite a unique um, work-life balance, isn't it? Going from professional sport into now having, you know, obviously you've got commitments with academia, but a lot more freedom and, and scope to do what you want work-wise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's there's always it, it's always useful to understand what you want to do, but it's also really useful to ask yourself what it is you're not willing to do or not that you don't want to have as part of your life. And in coming back to the UK, I'd made a transition to the US that was uh, a challenge for my family in the sense that they were going to support me, which I thought you know was fantastic and we had a wonderful time. But on coming back to the UK, we came back to our home that we bought and to up sticks and move again wasn't necessarily something I was willing to do. There's very limited high performance opportunities unless you're traveling or relocating or staying away from home <clears throat> for a number of times or days a week. And it was just something I thought about and thought, well, if I can achieve a number of things that align to my purpose as a high performance practitioner or coach, in other ways, I want to explore that. Um, two, help maintain the things in my life that, that I do like, which is the location I live in, the people that are close to that, the proximity to family, etc. And I, I want to get into um, uh, Collaborate Sports. Um, could you, could you in, in brief, can you explain what Collaborate is and then, and then maybe we can get into kind of what the current lay of the land looks like for aspiring or developing coaches to get into elite sport? Yeah, of course. I think... This takes us back to our original uh, podcast, actually, because I think that happened in and around COVID or just before it. And we uh, spoke about my role then being quite um, director or management-led in the sense that I was working with 13 coaches. And what I realized in that space was that my skill set with athletes, which was a lot of focus on the communication and uh, the relatedness of everything I was doing in the S&C space and making it relatable to athletes was I was applying the same principles and those skills with the S&C coaches. And so I was coaching coaches in that role more than coaching athletes. It was a leadership focus. And so I really enjoyed that space. I really enjoyed helping other coaches problem solve, challenging them, uh, giving them the confidence to fail forward and learn from those experiences and become better practitioners. And then in, during COVID, we all got put into our you know, isolation or isolatory situations. And I really struggled because my purpose had been taken away. And I really identified then that my purpose was to just help people improve in very simple terms, whether that was physical development with athletes or whether it was the coaches I was working with day and day out, I had lost that purpose and that motivation or that motivating factor in my life. And so I just started doing some stuff online for coaches um, 
half because I wanted to help, but half because I also felt that the power of discussion and collaboration is what helps individuals move forward, uh, understand elements of relatedness in, in their workspace, uh, but mostly make sense of something. And what I was struggling a little bit with in COVID was the insane amount of great CPD out there that was really, really gold standard, high ticket, high level type stuff that was webinar based with no interactions other than a couple of like ten, sent in questions. And much like you and I are talking now, it was just a two way dialogue. So what I started to do was open up opportunities to have many people in the room, many minds in the room to collaborate and share their own experiences around certain areas in mostly soft skill development to start with, but also the S&C space, so that people could bring whatever the topic was to a level of relatedness to them, whether they were working in schools, whether they were working as a one-man band uh, in a private facility, um, whether they had a business, whether they worked with an elite team. Everybody could ask questions, collaborate, and discuss the topic with an extreme level of relatedness. And, And collaboration around the group meant that you could get different perspectives on the problems that we were discussing. So that, that started out in in Florida when I was in the States. And, and I came home and realized that there was an appetite for it and just started to create group mentorships. These things, you know, personal development is not always accessible for everyone. It's quite expensive sometimes. So group mentorships gave uh, me the ability to reach a number of people, but for them to spread that cost in a group sense and make it a little bit more affordable for them. And so now I have these group mentorship programs that run over six months and we go on a really good journey together in either soft skill development or S&C principles and application. And um, yeah, like the, the collaborative sports community is growing. You know, I'm, I'm guessing you get a variety of levels of uh, a coach and professionals working with you, but for the sort of young or at least new coach trying to get through, what what are they kind of up against in terms of, trying to get into elite teams if that's their goal as a coach what, what's the sort of typical route in currently if there is one yeah you're right I do work with a number of different levels and, and the bespoke coaches would tend to be more on this one-on-one aspect and problem solving in a space where they're in a really established role but with the younger emerging practitioners um, it's often about um, helping them take that next step into their career, um, helping them problem solve that space with not much support around them. So a lot of developing practitioners are jumping into volunteer experiences, internships, um, but also there's a great increase of S&C provision in private schools in the UK at the moment, which is fantastic for the industry. But these roles are N equals one, you know, one S&C coach operating on their own. And so it's helping them navigate that space of the unknown, really. Um, what I've found is that just conversations are so powerful when those conversations are unbiased and outside your current work climate because it gains a great level of perspective and it helps you make sense of a situation and, and helps you get solutions to solutions far quicker. So I talk about that through the group mentorship pathways is that we're basically problem solving to help you be effective practitioners in your workplace Um, but yeah the biggest problems are not knowing what to do because there's a low level of support for emerging practitioners in these new roles which is fantastic that they're there but it's not helping an individual necessarily develop uh, holistically and another side of it is helping people get that first opportunity 
uh, because of the oversupply and under under demand of the industry that we're all well aware of. Mm. And I mean, I, I know the UK and the US will be slightly different. What's the what's the current status on, or what's the average, I guess, on do people need uh, accreditations, degrees, masters? Where are they at with sort of like um, certificate stacking before you get looked at? Is there a, is there a trend at the moment for what what's normal? Um, I guess there'll be a trend in terms of the job adverts. You know, job adverts are looking for you know an underpinning degree, of course. Uh, they're looking for a, a certificate of some of some sort in one way or another. But really. They're looking for experience. That's the one thing that people keep coming back to me with is that you don't have enough experience or you don't have enough specific experience. And I think that will be the same in most places and probably the same in all industries, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it is a difficult environment. What what I will say is that it doesn't surprise me, to be honest, but there is an alarmingly high number of people that are looking for shortcuts. And yeah. do, I, do I really need that? certificate if i can get away with it and i just turn that on its head and, and, and ask why wouldn't you you know if i've got two cvs on my desk and it's between you these two cvs about who gets that last spot for interview it's about who's got the most experience and going through an accreditation is an experience in the in the uk we have the ukca which is a applied coaching certification you have to go through a rigorous assessment of can you coach I think that's brilliant because you're trying to get into an industry of coaching. And if you can't, even when given the processes and, and being made aware of the processes of assessment and what's required, if you can't pass that, then there's something up with your ability to coach. And that shows me a, another level of experience. And people forget that certifications, qualifications, add levels of experience to your CV. Yeah. No, good point. Um Obviously, this is quite a broad question because the the person reaching out to you or joining Collaborate uh, could be entering from a different uh, level or context. But what does the process look like for someone when they sign up to Collaborate? Maybe the group side of it, um, but also feel free to go for the one-on-one mentorship as well. Um, In terms of like, what do you begin looking at and talking through to, you know, how does it kind of end or graduate? Yeah, so the, the bespoke coaching one, you know, one-on-one, if you generally comes from um, somebody recognizing that they need support in an area and reaching out, and I'll meet online and, and we'll have a discussion around their needs. And it's useful when those people realize that there's a problem that they're trying to solve and they need some support to do it. Um, and often it is about accountability. It's about um reflective practice and understanding where they're at because they've got no one to help them or line manage them sometimes it's about diversifying into business and sometimes it's about negotiating with their employers Um, sometimes it's about interview prep very specifically and we'll do a ton of role play and make sure their applications are really really up to scratch and so it's very much uh, an individual needs there and if somebody comes on board with me for the six-month journey on a bespoke manner we'll do just like a sport analysis I'll get them to do an individual needs analysis. We'll look at areas they feel they're strong, areas that they struggle in. They'll give me examples of that. And we'll come up with a plan of action, a projected periodization plan around their development and prioritize the the things that are of most importance that will help close the gap on the problem that they're trying to solve. From the group mentorship side of things, 
Um, for me, it's not a, a click by option in the sense of go and see an online course, click here and be part of the program. I actually encourage people to meet me online. I want to get a feel for the fact that these individuals, that this this solution is right for them as opposed to them just being curious in case. You know, I want people to be invested in their development. And nine times out of ten, it, the people that are asking to meet me and discuss group mentorship are, are, are ready for it and it's suitable. And what happens is these individuals come on board uh, we meet once a month in a group sense. We'll go through key themes that are set out from the onset. So in SNC, it might be reverse engineering, impact and sport, onto month two, speed agility, month three, energy system development, and so forth. And then the soft skills pathway starts with uh, interview techniques, networking techniques, uh, making sure that your cover letters and CVs are up to scratch, and then we get right into communication and personality profiling and role play. Now, over the six months, we'll meet once a month in a group for a couple of hours and we'll have something very discussive in nature uh, and we'll focus on that topic. And we will use everybody everybody in the room, that digital virtual um, group, to use their, their environments and their real world to bring to life the concepts. So I'll have principles and key themes, but I won't be dictating to the group. We'll have a discussion on, okay, Success in a school might look like adherence for 15-year-old girls in the gym over making them stronger and more powerful. And it's and that clarity is really important. So we'll have a discussion around that. We'll get great perspectives from the group and we'll come up with solutions. And the six-month journey repeats like that with different topics. But in between, I have around 24 now bonus speakers on the SNC program and around 16 on the soft skills um, and multiple stacked offers of, of other benefits. So individuals can go and look at experts in the field. For example, I've got a police negotiator talking about active listening and uh, also negotiating skills on the soft skills pathway that they can absorb, engage with uh, in their own time. They're small, small sort of TED style talks. And so there's getting in the room, being uncomfortable with, with me and a group, and then there's um, learning unique perspectives and skill sets in the bonus content as well and then after the program there's the opportunity to stay on and work with me one-on-one or become part of the wider community um, and receive peer-to-peer mentorship which is thriving as well very cool and is there any kind of common sticking points or um, questions that you you face quite often with mentees yeah i mean a lot of it is just lack of clarity it's it's a the, the traits that I see are an insane level of motivation to be the best versions of themselves they can be, but a, a distinct lack of clarity on how to do it. And it's brilliant. I get excited because all I do is align people's thoughts, perspectives, give them a little nudge in the right direction, give them some tools, and they, they can find the answers for themselves, which is a powerful place to be, as opposed to being on the end of a, a lecture or a course where they're being dictated to. And there's no sense making of that situation. So for me, it, it's it's a, a lack of clarity, but that's not through any fault of their own. And that's exactly the reason to reach out to people to help mentor you is that you gain perspective that you don't have in your own mind when you sit there and just try to develop it at your own rate on your own. Um, there's if we get into the the specifics of what that lack of clarity or where where that lack of clarity is sometimes it's in career um periodization as we would call it so understanding exactly where i want to be 
but having a lack of clarity of how to get there and the ex- the false expectation that I want that to be my next job. That's a really big one. And so my job as a mentor is to go give perspective and say, well, to get to that point, you're going to need these two or three stepping stones job-wise. That means you're going to have to commit to you know, two years in the current role. You need to uh, look at these roles and responsibilities in the role that you're aspiring to and find ways to fill those gaps. So if some of the gaps are around um, technology and you've got no technology in your current environment, you, we or you and I together have got to find ways to get that into your environment. Um, and that's something that I'll help individuals with, try and open doors for them to achieve that. Um, but yeah, that would, that would be the biggest one, the lack of clarity and, and not knowing how to go about doing what they want to do in the long run. They have an outcome in mind, but they don't necessarily understand the process or have an idea about how to formulate or organize that process. I, I can see why people need uh, either mentorship or a group interactive setting because I guess if you're at a crossroads or or a sticking point in your career, it's quite optimistic to think you're going to find an online off-the-shelf course that you're going to view or read and then get on your way with a plan. I think these things probably always require, uh, you know, thinking out loud and discussion to sort of uh, churn through your thoughts and make sense of things. But um, yeah. so yeah. Uh, like just going back into academia has been really useful because I'm learning myself. I'm, I'm doing a postgrad certificate of academic practice. You know, I'm deep diving into pedagogical theories and applications for teaching. And not everybody learns the way and not everyone makes sense of the world in the same way. But I find that discussion allows for people to explore things in a way that suits them. And so if people just like to sit back and listen, absorb and make sense of it internally, brilliant. That happens in a group discussion. If somebody wants clarity, they can ask a question to gain that clarity. If somebody does well with being prompted to give their opinion, I can bring that out of them. And it's a really diverse environment. And and I love it because I always learn something as well. Um, And so that's why I've been reluctant to go down that online course route which obviously has its place but for me this mentorship side of things is is about the human side the connection which is everything I ever focused on with athletes you know I'm just now moving the goalpost to to dedicate that to coaches and practitioners you feel free to use kind of any case studies or anonymous examples um this one mate but how do you kind of help people? You mentioned periodization a minute ago. How do you help people kind of uh, make a framework or map out their their career journey? You kind of touched on it then, but um, how does somebody kind of in a robust way do that? And, and I'm, I'm aware I'm probably stealing some of the secret sauce from <laughs> Collaborate by asking. No, that's good. Yeah, I mean, within the mentorship itself, um, there's also the ability in the group sense that everybody's got me as a personal mentor in a one-on-one capacity. We have a community platform and they can message me privately. And just yesterday I jumped on a a call with an individual who was struggling at the moment to um, create ideas within his, or to to turn his ideas into action in his environment. And what we realized was when we deconstructed the situation was that he was looking at it from a different perspective. He wasn't seeing it from the perspective of his employer who wasn't actually associated with the team he was working with. It was a consultancy. And so he just had to think about rewording the way in which he 
promoted his ideas, you know, and almost asked for permission to make these changes as opposed to saying, I think we should do X, Y, and Z. So there's the very sort of individual side of it that is reactive and based on what are you trying to solve now? And then there's the zooming out journey side of, of, of planning your career. What's really important is to know where you want to get to and, and where you're at now. And one of the things we do to start with is understand, okay, does what I want in the future align with what I what I want for myself? So does expectation meet reality? So one of the tools that we start with is looking at needs and wants. So as an individual, professionally and personally, what are your needs, non-negotiables, and, and what are your wants nice to have? And so for me at the minute, one of my professional wants, which is now a nice to have, is to work with elite athletes. It's not. It's no longer a, a professional need. It's moved into that nice to have space. What I do need in my professional career is that I have an ability to help people, develop people, uh, challenge people, and be challenged. And then there's some personal needs and wants as well. You know, I want to spend. I need to spend more time at home, etc. So if this job that you aspire to is in a football club and then we know that that's going to be working likely seven days a week for a number of weeks a year. But if one of your personal needs is to be present close to family, let's let's make sure that that elephant in the room is out there now so that you're not trying to strive for something that potentially is not unachievable, but you're going to be disappointed by the time you do get there. So the needs and wants exercise is a great start. The next thing then is once you know that those things align, expectation and reality align, you can go about action planning. And it's about identifying the gaps and how many steps removed from that role are you? And whether you are what we call like a, a breaker, breaking into the industry, um, a thriver or survivor is the language we use in the career periodization manual, um, or a redefiner at the end of stage of your career where you might be looking to do something different like I have. So understanding where you're at and also what some of the roles that you'll have to adopt at this stage of your career are, which are potentially being lower in the pecking order of any hierarchical performance team, um, having to experience philosophies and principles that you might not agree with based on your academic knowledge. But until you've got the full experiential experience of two years in the industry, you should observe reflect capture that insight and information as opposed to try and necessarily act on it or change it because that's probably going to reflect badly on you as an early stage practitioner and making people aware of this has been a really useful exercise and then we'll do something like a core competency framework assessment again another personal needs analysis where am i at or where are the where's the mentee at with their knowledge and application two different things around speed development. Well, knowledge is great. I've done all these online courses. I've watched all these videos, but I haven't coached speed um, at all yet. Okay, well, that's a gap. You need to highlight that as a priority and go down the competencies around data management, technology use, um, problem solving, innovation, communication, collaboration, all these things, technical and non-technical. And once you've got these sort of four or five key areas, then you've got to prioritize which ones are urgent and which ones can can wait. And then you've got to come up with a plan of action. How do I close the gap on the fact that I have a gap in my speed development coaching and application? 
And so some of my mentees I've encouraged to promote like speed clubs at their school, um, drop-in type sessions or at the university they're, they're coaching at, or trying to do a little bit of side business where they do some online coaching or some in-person coaching in a group sense. You know, they've not worked with large groups. Well, can you go and get a, a couple of hours extra doing group classes in a gym? So it's very individual, but you have to be willing to go, right, this is where my big gaps are at the moment. I can imagine having this all mapped out with such clarity in advance is incredibly helpful because the, the thing I've always noticed is it's quite hard to um, predict what opportunities that you're going to get at any moment in time, which sounds obvious, but you know somebody may work in one sport and the next opportunity that comes along may come at a time they're not expecting and in a sport or a location that they were never considering. So I think... I can imagine having that clarity of where you're heading long term is is very important to then appraise whether these quite random, spontaneous job opportunities when they arrive, whether they actually fit you as a person and your sort of macro plan. If we if we use uh, S and C yeah. terminology, well, that's why we did it. Both Josh Fletcher and I <clears throat> sat there and went. The problem everyone has is they see a job, they apply for it in hope with hope, but they're underqualified and they don't meet the criteria, and then we really deconstruct that situation and go, well, that person had the opportunity to potentially develop in these areas. They just haven't. And so just going through the process of raising awareness of the gaps between where you're at and where you want to be is really useful. This journey very rarely happens as you plan it out, but it's really a reflective task to push you into action and push you into accountability. And it's the same principles as working with an athlete for that reason, that we understand that we can't expect somebody to be ready to compete in the Olympics that's in a year's time by doing the same thing tomorrow and for the next 364 days, you know, or, or for the next four-year cycle. We have to look at the difference between their performance now, what we predict the performance to be in four years' time at, at an Olympics, what are the key limiting factors for the sport, okay, how does that how does our athlete compare to that? And therefore, what physical qualities do we need to develop? How do we need to upskill that athlete? What would be the priority? Which one are we going to do now? And which one are we going to do in six months' time? And so this macro, meso, micro approach is the same within our careers. Um, we just need to, as you say, map it out. And it's like the athlete journey. We need to be agile and we adapt. But the principles are still the same. We have to go and develop our skill sets to become better uh, in terms of knowledge in the first place. And then we need to go practice and get reps in that particular quality or competency to understand how it works, what works, what doesn't, and become fine-tuned in that, in that competency as a practitioner. Whether you're working with sort of like very late-stage practitioners or um, early-stage practitioners, coaches, um, is there anything when you, when you do these mentor sessions or, or group sessions, is there any kind of factors that are really commonly beneficial to both, if that makes sense? Obviously, the the the, the later stage coach has a lot more perspective and you'd hope a wider skill set. But through the process that they work with you, is there anything that's just commonly useful to people at any stage? And that's very broad. Yeah, I guess one one thing that's commonly useful is a awareness or an acceptance sorry that the individual is 
nowhere near the finished article, nor probably will they ever be. And therefore, there's just this growth mindset in these individuals to, to want to be better. And they're not afraid to either receive feedback <clears throat> or seek it um, because the intention is to be better from it. And I think we see the same in our athletes, you know. You see the odd, odd, odd maverick, but there's a, a ton of good athletes that are, are accepting of the fact that they've got to put the reps in. I call it, you know, we, we're happy to put reps in under the bar and reps in practicing our speed work, but we're not prepared to put the reps in in terms of really regimented strength work and really regimented energy system development work because it takes time and it takes a commitment. Um, and it's the same here. There's a, a growth mindset to want to be better and that there's a patience to get it right and, and well, sorry, get it wrong before they get it right. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, for anyone that isn't working with you yet or, or isn't working with you um, to liken it to athletes, obviously we would, you know, test, retest. We'd have in a season with athletes set periods where we, where we kind of appraise the physical qualities that we're going after with the athlete with tests. Um, uh, in a similar way with professional development, is there, uh, I guess, a frequency of how often you recommend a coach or practitioner reflects on their development, their progress and their direction with what they're trying to achieve, like a sort of self-reflection yeah. of their professional life? Yeah, I think I think there should always be an element of self-reflection or an awareness to reflect. And that can be uh, informal in nature. So whether or not it's just driving home from work, can I quickly deconstruct what's happened that day and take one learning from that day and impact it into the next day. That for me is something that good practitioners are doing day in, day out in a in habitual manner, all right, almost autonomously. And But in terms of the younger practitioner where that's not something they're used to, they're going to have to spend some time writing, writing things down, setting aside time for that reflective practice. And um, that for me would, would need to be probably weekly. I think. And then for the more experienced practitioner, I, I think it's situational specific. Even just today with a mentee that I've worked with one-on-one, -on -one, going into a new role, um, it was really exciting to talk about what that role is going to potentially look like, but it was quite daunting for him to talk about all the unknowns. And so we came up with a strategy upon how to prioritize the first 30 days but we did it by reflecting on a personality profile that we'd done maybe 12 months prior. And that really helped make sense of some of the potential areas he was going to slip up in if he, if he wasn't aware around of how he might manifest in that environment. And it gave him a really good action plan of how to prioritize some of the things that he, that weren't so natural to him day in, day out, uh, but would be really important for this role. And so that was a very, situation or time timely approach to, to reflecting because it was trying to solve the problem we had currently which was i'm going into a new job and now i need to create an action plan and so we we drew on reflections from other exercises we've done or we performed to really bring that to life and we really came up with a really good action plan for him which was which was really nice to see so there's loads of different ways to do it I don't think there's a definitive answer on the frequency, but 
much like training, it needs to be consistent. <laughs> yeah, no, good answer. So we've covered uh, sort of career development uh, quite widely in this conversation so far. You you mentioned there's two pathways, one uh, more S&C related, uh, the other one being soft skills. What what does the soft skills pathway look like and what does it involve? Because uh, I think over the last few years, this is uh, a part of our profession that is finally getting a little bit more attention. So for you and for Collaborate, what does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really pivotal. If I think back to the reason I actually started the soft skills pathway first was because of my own lessons in my own career. I'd spent the first five, four or five years of my career in the employment sense, really focusing on the X's and O's and the technical detail and the programming and and very little on my ability to truly be agile and collaborate with as many people as possible in a high-performance manner. And I slipped up. I, I, I made a mistake or two in one role, playing to my strengths. I was simply playing to my strengths, which were being very organized and very direct. And individuals were seeking my opinion on things, and I shut them their thoughts down because in my head I knew I was right but really those individuals were just looking for a way to collaborate and and create or, or evolve the idea they had into something that could work as opposed to being told that what they currently thought didn't work or wouldn't work and I messed up there and, and from that point on I made it a real priority of mine to understand behavior understand mindset and how specific communication and strategic communication can really save you or, and make you in, it, in any situation it can be the biggest downfall for you so i say to mentees it's you know it's not what you know it's how you apply what you know and how you apply what you know beyond paper and planning is about people and the human side of things um, and so the soft skill pathway focuses on on that uh, it starts with interview techniques and networking techniques because ultimately People don't prepare for those things. Like I said, they don't get reps in of, of role-playing interview practice. And you don't want interviews to be the first place you recognize that you're not prepared. You know, you're trying to impress in that situation. At least in the workplace, there's a chance to reflect and, and make it right tomorrow. So that's where we start. And then we get into understanding self. So that's why we use profiles and we look at um, the profiles of the team in that environment to understand, okay, within our cohort, where are our gaps even as a team or who could we use from a communication sense um, in, in this way to achieve this goal and who could we use from a uh, idea, uh, creation of ideas and innovation and creativity and who could we use from a project management point of view because we understand a little bit more about the diversity of skill sets in the soft, softer personal skill side. And then we get into a lot around communication. We get a lot into challenging conversations and conflicts and conflict resolution and negotiations and how to manage them and how the specific words and the way we construct them really have an impact on what, on the outcomes that we're desiring. Uh, and perception doesn't often meet reality in those situations. And the role plays are really awkward. But they're quite fun because everyone has a laugh at realizing how silly some of the things they say sound and that they don't reflect the way they thought they sounded yeah. um, so the soft skills for me is a huge 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 influencer on your ability to progress in the field and if i'm honestly looking at the high performance practitioners who are years ahead of me who i look up to they've all got an impressive ability to be adaptable as, as a practitioner in 
the technical and the non-technical skills. For the for the coaches that you've met, I guess that um, that you deem really you know well developed in the in the soft skills as well as the technical skills, have they typically come from like a variety of backgrounds, or is there any sort of? I know this is a very absolute sort of statement. But is, is there anything that you've ever noticed that they share as qualities in their backgrounds or or personalities? Well, I mean, it does come back to that um, that that trait of of being growth orientated, growth mindset, and, and wanting to develop. Because I think if somebody has that mindset, there's an auto, well, an increased chance that there's a heightened self awareness to start with. That's that's inevitable. Um, the I will say that the journey those people have been on, or the journey I see people go on, is that when they go through a journey of of diversifying their experiences and moving from you know job to job or uh, culture to culture or country to country and that's not to say job hopping every six to 12 months but you know two to three years here two to three years there the diversity of experience really shows in the practitioners who've got an ability to adapt their softer skills and personal skills and so i would say for anyone that you know is embedded with an environment and has never seen anything else or experienced anything else get yourself outside of the bubble that you're in because the world is is very different in in a number of different environments and therefore it, and it can't we can't copy and paste these the way we use our soft skills from environment to environment so go and observe at least if not be part of different experiences because yes the practitioners that have that diversity of experience seem to um yeah, come out better in this area for me. No, good answer. Um, where, where's the best place for people to follow you? I'm aware of time. So um, right. where, where can yeah. people find you personally and where can they find Collaborate? Yeah, personally on Twitter is at HowellsDan, H-O-W-E-L-L-S-D-A-N. Um, on uh, Instagram is, is, a, is where I put a lot of content out, a lot of quick uh, digestible content, and that's uh, Collaborate underscore sports collaborate underscore sports uh you find me on linkedin uh the website is collaborate sports.com and there's plenty of options on there to get in contact and uh, show expressions of interest and register interest for the mentorships and even meet me online um and there's also a downloadable pdfs about what the programs involve um but it's yeah it's expanding at a rate quicker than i can keep up with the sort of marketing tools at the minute so there's more in the mentorships than actually probably you can find on your own so meeting online is brilliant to just show you what what that type of uh, pathway can do for you cool well mate thank you very much it's uh it's always a thought-provoking conversation when we get you on so yeah thank you for for another one of those on our show nice one no i really really appreciate it and um yeah love love the uh, depth of questions and always great having a discussion with yourself Good stuff. Thanks, mate. And um, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak to you again. No worries. Look forward to it.